0: Brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. So our topic for today's episode is about fear, and allowing a spirit of fear to rule our lives. It's really, I mean, that's sort of the front door to what we're going to do today, really where we're, the, the living room of where we're going to head to is, what is our epic purpose in life in the midst of fearful circumstances, or you know how people say we live in uncertain times? I, I, I always like go, what? When was the certain time? The 50s? I think you need to go back in time to the 50s and discover that most people felt like they were living in uncertain times. Back there in the glory days of the 50s, there's never been a certain time, but we like to think there was a certain time. All of human history has been lived out in uncertain times, which means all of human history has been lived out in a context of fear. People afraid, either physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, of their context in some way. So if you're a new listener, my name is Rick Lawrence, I'm author of The Jesus Centered Life, and editor of The Jesus Centered Bible, and um, interested in all things Jesus-centered, and I'm here with my co-host and friend, Becky. Hello. The, the Becky Nader.
1: That's my new name.
0: Yeah, she's the Becky Nader because she embodies what a, a Nader is, <laughs> which means that she's like a catalyst for so many things.
1: Some people like that, some people don't.
0: Yeah, I happen to really <laughs> like it. So we're going to dive into this whole thing, like I said, through the front door, and that's through the door of fear. So fear is the most powerful human emotion. Um, it's actually rooted at the core of who we are as human beings. F- fear has always been with us. Of course, it, it's, a, it's a valuable thing because it helps us discern threats in our environment. There's things we should be afraid of, so it's actually a helpful thing, similar to the way pain... Everyone wants to avoid pain, but we actually need pain to help us to know when we put our hand on the stove, right? So leprosy takes that away. And that's how leprosy actually disfigures people, is they can't feel their environment, so they end up doing things that harm themselves, and they don't know it. So pain is actually a gift. Um, Philip Yancey wrote two books about this. Fear is also a gift in the sense that it helps us become awake and alive to actual threats, physical threats or other kinds of threats in our environment, and... Um, so it, you could say it's kind of a species survival mechanism in a way. Fear helps us to to survive at kind of a base level, but we also learn to how to fear things that scare us. So children are born with very few fears, and we collect them like barnacles on a boat <laughs> as we move through life. And some people are just... They have so many barnacles on their boat that they're weighted down and sinking under the weight of that fear. So... Uh, Right now, we live in a culture that, where most people would say we're, we're kind of fear-saturated. There's threats from every side, and you could make the case that, are there really more threats than we've ever had in human history? Well, no. <laughs> but do we know about more threats than any time in human history? Of course we do. There's a 24-hour news cycle. We don't just hear about stuff or read about it, we actually see it viscerally, the fears. Um We have YouTube, in addition to all of the major news channels and cable news, and uh, Facebook provides news. Now, we are just saturated, immersed in the realities that we live in around the world. So every world reality is now our reality. So you could make the case that there are just as many fears as there ever has been, but we just know about them much And it's
1: more. 24-7. You know, you used to watch the the morning news or the night news, and now with Facebook, it's 24-7 that we're getting this news that's just being put at us all day, and it makes you reactive. It's hard not to be reactive. Yeah,
0: and the news cycle right now is fixated on the fears post-election, um, fears on either side. Uh, you know, obviously, we you, you know, there are many people that are optimistic and hopeful right now as well, but what the news cycle has focused on is the fears Im- embedded in our culture, and protests arising out of those fears. And so that's the place we're in right now. Just like with pain, I don't know anybody who who's doesn't have a psychological issue <laughs> that doesn't want to get out of pain. Um, we might value its purpose in our life, but we don't want to have pain. Uh, we might value the the usefulness of fear in our life, but we don't want to be in fear. We don't like it, we want to get out of it. But how does that jibe when all of human history has been saturated in fearful things, including the time of Jesus? Sometimes we think of the 30 years that Jesus, 33 years that Jesus walked the earth, those must have been pristine years. Oh my gosh! They were horrific years. Jesus' crucifixion was not a one-off. That was the common method of execution of the time, and people were very familiar with sites of crucifixion on an everyday basis in their culture. Can you imagine that? You're driving down the road and you see people crucified by the side of the road? Well, people in um, uh, people in Aleppo um, know what that's like, and people in um, Iraq right now, in, in ISIS-controlled Iraq, know what that's like. They see this kind of stuff on a daily basis. We're a little bit removed from it. So, so there was never a time in history that wasn't filled with difficult things that we're looking at, but Jesus described us centrally as sheep, and he wasn't kidding, he was trying to make a metaphoric point that we are most like sheep in the way that we behave as human beings, and he's most like a good shepherd, someone who recognizes what sheep really are, but loves them to his core. So, Becky, you did some exploration about what sheep are kind of, sort of, like, relative to fear. Why don't you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, the first thing that I found was that sheep are afraid of the unknown, or darkness, and of strange pastures and buildings, and that keeps them really appreciative of their shepherd um, and his helpers. It keeps them together with their mutual support and comfort. That I didn't include this in here, but one of the things I thought was interesting is that sheep actually have a high amount of facial recognition, even of other sheep, which mm. you, you look at a bunch of sheep, they all look the same, but they actually can recognize different sheep, except for just a few breeds, such as those that live in the highest mountaintops, sheep like to live to, to be together. Most animals, if left free to roam, would scatter, but if sheep are left by themselves, they'll stay together. They also have a high propensity to follow other sheep, um, which can be a problem because they're not very good on their own. They really do need a shepherd.
0: Another way of saying that is that they have an inbred proclivity to follow. Mm -hmm. And so I find that so profound relative to us because it's also true that we are hardwired to follow. So the issue then becomes, who are we following? Because that makes all the difference. If you're following another sheep when you're a sheep...
1: That's a bad thing. It's
0: not going to go well for you. No. But if you're following a good shepherd who will lay down his life for you, and who's studied you, and has counted you, and knows when one is missing and when one isn't, knows you personally and intimately, that's a good thing if you follow that shepherd, because that shepherd has your best interests at heart. And by definition, the sheep doesn't see very well. And by definition, threats from the outside are very fearful for the sheep, especially if they're unprotected. Sometimes they don't even know that they're unprotected, no. that, that they're, they don't even know that there's a, a shepherd looking out for them. That's why Jesus said, here's what a good shepherd is. <laughs> a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, lays across the sheep gate to make sure no enemy can enter into the gate at night and take advantage of the sheep, so he's saying that a good shepherd is, has a protective uh, uh, leadership role for these sheep. So sheep are wired to follow, we're wired to follow. So it's super important that we, that we make sure that we're following the right shepherd <laughs> and not another, not another sheep. I have a, we've talked about this before on the podcast. Uh, my wife Bev and I have uh, we lead a, a weekly small group in our home for about a dozen or so teenagers. They're middle schoolers up to high schoolers. I've never told the kids the name of the group that I have for it, but I call it the Mud Puddle Group, because our purpose is to slow down and pay attention to Jesus in all of the mud puddle stories of Jesus, the places where we don't typically uh, understand him. So when we slow down, we find his heart there. So uh, our um, theme for the group, it's on a it's on a PowerPoint slide on a TV screen that I set up in the room that we meet in, so that it's the first thing that they see when they come into the room. It says, uh, pursuing the heart of Jesus, not his recipes. And the point of that, and they've now learned this, is that yes, Jesus did uh, did and, uh, and said a lot of true things that we can learn from, but it's the heart behind those true things that is really our mission. Mm-hmm. It's the, his heart that we want to come embrace and be captured by, because that's, that thing will last, uh, because that leads to a relationship that leads to a deep attachment to him when we understand his heart. So that's what they see when they come in. This last uh, couple weeks ago, we, we had our, our meetings on Tuesday night, so it fell on election night. So we decided mm, we don't want to have a normal small group that night because we want to watch the election results. So we decided to have it a little bit earlier, have it around a meal around our table, which we normally don't do. And then then stop at 7 o'clock, and anyone that wanted to stay could watch the election results with us. So that's, that was our plan. And we decided to do something around the table that we've actually done on our podcast. The, the last episode of our podcast really came out of this experience, where we just I just asked the kids, hey, let Jesus pop into your head a gospel, a chapter number, and a verse. By now they're conditioned, that they don't think that's this freaky thing to do, they just did it and they threw their they 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 we paused we were silent they wrote down on a slip of paper what popped into their head we put them in a hat i fished one out and i said tonight what we're going to do with this one that i'm going to fish out of the hat is we're simply going to explore the heart of jesus in this passage, whatever it is. Well, ironically, the passage was Matthew 24.
1: <laughs> Very fitting. <laughs> and Great conversation with a bunch of teenagers. <laughs> yeah,
0: and the, the Matthew 24, I mean, I, I don't expect you listening to immediately know what the subhead above Matthew 24 is, but here it is, Jesus speaks about the future. <laughs> and we were, we pulled this out of the hat out of 12 or 13 kids who put them in there, I just fished one out, and it was so funny, because we, we did not yet know what was going to happen with the election, so again, this was before 7 o'clock, um, we were going to stop and watch the results, but the whole room, even with these kids, was kind of full of anticipation and tension about the future. <laughs> What's happening to our country? What's going to happen after tonight? Whoa, one way or another, we're really going to change after tonight. So to pull out a verse from Matthew 24 where Jesus is talking about the future. was so ironic, and they loved it, this conversation. So they loved it right up until the time when we actually started reading (laughs) uh, from Matthew 24, and it's pretty sobering what Jesus says. In fact, after the fact—we had a fantastic conversation about the heart of Jesus, by the way— but after the fact, some of the kids we heard through the grapevine had some fears coming out of this, because— jesus is pretty blunt in matthew 24 he's he's speaking to his disciples and he's doing what jesus does he's being brutally realistic with them in fact uh, i think i mentioned this the uh, last week that the kids uh, one of the things they pulled out about the heart of jesus is that look at how profound his love is for us because he loves us enough to tell us the truth he doesn't sugarcoat it he doesn't spin it he trusts us enough and gives us dignity enough to trust us with the brutal reality. So some of the things that Jesus says in Matthew 24 are that nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there's going to be famines and earthquakes, and, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you're likely to be arrested, persecuted, and killed, not because of something you've done, but because of your association with Jesus, is what he's saying. If you associate yourself with me, This is likely going to happen in your future. Arrested, persecuted, and killed. Christians will be hated all over the world. False prophets will appear. Sin will be rampant everywhere. Um, People who love me now, their love will grow cold. It is a bleak picture of the future. And after a while, I mean, it it can be so bleak that you start to laugh. (laughs) It's like it's over-the-top bleak. I think there's even one part in here where it says hey, oh, here it is, how terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. So he gets down to the dirty details. It's of, very
1: depressing. Yeah. It's, it's apocalyptic. It's it's like zombies. You feel like there should be zombies and, and something about the walking dead <laughs> happening.
0: <laughs> and we've talked about the on this podcast the Stockdale Paradox before, which is essentially a, a, uh, a way of, of thinking and behaving in the world when you're in the midst of challenging circumstances that leads to thriving in the midst of those challenging circumstances, and it's basically, you must confront the brutal realities of whatever is happening, while never giving up on your prevailing hope. It's the tension of of living in between these two things, brutal reality and hope. So here Jesus is definitely living in the tension between those. He is brutally realistic about what's going to happen, while uh, being profoundly hopeful about what's what what the result of this what, what's gonna why is he telling people uh, his closest friends about their brutal reality well what the kids said that night was well he wants us to know reality so that we're not surprised taken off guard so that we can live our lives with purpose in the midst of this which I thought was really profound for teenagers. Well, it can feel it can
1: feel hopeless otherwise. It's you know, you if if he didn't say this this is going to happen, you might feel like, "Hey, um maybe I have doubt or maybe I have hopelessness because I thought everything was going to be fine now that Jesus came back." And and he had to clarify and just say, "Look, it's going to be hard." You know, right after he says all these really hard things about what's going to happen, um, he says this other very hopeful thing, and he says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world, so that all no- nations will be have heard it. Then the end will come, because amidst this fearful time, we aren't called to get rid of the thing that's causing fear.
0: Yeah, that's a profound thing that you just said. In the midst of our fear, the path that we take is not to find an unfeared place, a non-fear context, because that's not possible. We live in a broken world. By definition, that means that we're a mess, and we live in chaos, and there's going to be fear that surrounds us, so will the fear control us? Will we, like sheep, let fear guide us? Right now, I think a lot of us are allowing fear to guide us as if it was our shepherd, we're letting fear speak to us about about um, our own interior life, what to pay attention to, what to spend our life's energy on. The only the only purpose that this plays into is the enemy of God's purpose. If He can get us distracted from our true purpose, what Jesus is counting on us to do in the midst of fear, if He can get us distracted and led astray by our fears, then mission accomplished. Mm -hmm. We are not doing the thing that we have been uniquely created to do when we are being led by fear. We are distracted, we're on a side road, we're not doing... We're not participating in Jesus' great mission, and that's why we've titled this Finding Your Epic Purpose in the midst of this, because what I said to the the kids this last Tuesday night, at the end of the night, I I felt like... uh, uh, normally it's a very vibrant conversation we have experiences and interactions and pursuing Jesus and it's it's a huge conversation i said to my wife this week i feel called to do something a little different i'm going to talk a little more than i normally do because um, i feel like i'm being called to proclaim something over them in the midst of the fear that they live in in this culture and i we we examine some of the brutal realities of our culture right now that we're becoming a more and more secularized culture. The reality of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, they see hints of this all around them in their culture, in their because they see persecution already. If you're a Christian in an American high school today and you're outward about it, you're going to get blowback from that. And is the answer then to change our schools so there's prayer in schools so that doesn't happen anymore? No, that's not going to happen. What can happen is that we can become the people that Jesus intended us to be in the midst of that. So I felt this need to proclaim over them what a unique opportunity they have to reboot what it means to be a follower of Jesus, because it's no longer going to be a cultural current um, that they can float along in, where they're beliefs about the Church and about Jesus and about what it means to be a Christian are now commonly accepted as the norm in their culture, they have the fantastic opportunity to stand out, to be counter-cultural, to, to live out what they believe, not in a neutral or even positive environment, but in a pushback environment. So at the end of it, I prayed a benediction over them, and I basically said, uh, I asked them to lower, lower their heads and close their eyes, and I said, you're not primarily Um, daughters or sisters or BFFs, you are primarily adopted kids into the royal family of God. That's your primary identity. You've been adopted um, through the sacrifice of Jesus into the the Trinity's family, and you not only are adopted into their family in the way that we understand it, but your DNA is actually now part of the royal family. Jesus said, you're born again um, into the kingdom of God. And now you've inherited the family business, <laughs> and the family business of the Trinity is setting captives free. Wow, what a fantastic, epic purpose to have for your life, to participate with Jesus in setting captives free, because that's what he's all about. And we live in a, in a time where there's never been a greater opportunity for the followers of Jesus to participate in setting captives free. The, the the lines are much more clearly drawn <laughs> and the and the need the the need for release from captivity is so much more obvious
1: and it's so much more exciting to go set captives free than to sit around on social media and decide who is the person who is the false prophet of <laughs> our time that is that's not the epic adventure that we're being called to
0: yeah um, even even when we talk about this right now think about this the What is at the core of your purpose in life is participating with Jesus in helping people who are profoundly captive uh, emotionally, physically, mentally, in their circumstances, to to set them free so that they can live in freedom no matter what their circumstances are. That's really what we're called Mm -hmm. to be, is people like Paul who said, well, I've learned to live with a lot and with nothing at all. I've learned to live when I'm eating well, and when I've been uh, lashed repeatedly to near death and hung by chains in a prison cell. I've learned to live with a sense of deep satisfaction and foundation under my feet, no matter what environment I'm in, no matter what my circumstances are in. Paul is really just—he's not describing what a saint does. So we often think, "Whoa, Paul's such a saint! Look at how he's..." learned how to live in every circumstance. He's just telling the truth about what happens when your life is rooted in Jesus. The circumstances of your life become less important to your joy when you're rooted in Jesus. He is the source of your joy, and it's amazing how addicted we are to our circumstances relative to our joy. All of us are, but the deeper you go into Jesus, the less you really need that. So I had a friend named Bob Krulish who occasionally will email me and say, hey, Jesus just put me, put you on my heart, and uh, I had that happen this last weekend. He sent me a note that said, hey, you're on my heart, I uh, just wanted to encourage you. Um, what I sensed on your behalf was that you're in the midst of a time where you're shouldering a lot of burdens, and I ran across this passage from My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers, that I think really fits, so I'm going to throw it out for you right now. I hope it I hope it meshes with where you're at. And it was really profound for me, and I showed this to our dozen or so kids a couple nights ago, and they were fascinated by this. They really resonated with it. So let me just read to you what Oswald Chambers says, um, and it's referencing um, uh, Psalm 55 2, I think. Um, it's, it's about uh, allowing the Lord to shoulder our burden. So here's what Oswald Chambers says. "Um, Many servants set out to serve God with great courage and with the right motives, but with no intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ, they are soon defeated. They do not know what to do with their burden, and it produces weariness in their lives. Now others will see this and say, what a sad end to something that had such a great beginning. Cast your burden on the Lord. That's the quote from Psalm 55 you've been bearing it all, but you need to deliberately place one end on God's shoulder. Quote, the government will be upon his shoulder. And there, uh, Chambers is is quoting Isaiah 9-6. The government will be upon his shoulder. So commit to God whatever burden he has placed on you. Don't just cast it aside, but put it over onto him and place yourself there with it. You will see that your burden is then lightened, by the sense of companionship. But you should never try to separate yourself from your burden. Oh, so it was that last line that was revelatory to the kids in our in our living room. You should never try to separate yourself from your burden. So they live in a world where they have a lot of burdens, teenagers do, and they're just trying to get rid of them, and they're surrounded by people who want them to lay, lay down some of these burdens. Don't parents in particular, I'm, I talk with my daughter a lot about, don't take on any more. <laughs> <laughs> You're already full. So they're used to carrying burdens and trying to get rid of their burdens. It was a brand new thought to think, what if I have a burden that I'm called to carry, but if but it requires that I'm a close companion of Jesus to carry it, so that, if you can picture in your mind, my arm is around him. That's how I picture a companion. Your My arm is around him, so much so that the burden that I'm carrying spills over onto his shoulder, so that as we walk together, the burden is not as much. I still feel it, but it's not as much because we're walking together with it. That's what Chambers is trying to uh, funnel us toward here, and the kids in our group just loved that word companionship. We talked a lot about that. It's a very attractive word relative to our relationship with Jesus. So what are we called to carry in the midst of this fearful culture that we live in right now? What are we called to to, to hold on to as our burden, as long as we're a companion with Jesus in it?
1: Well, we're talking about the current climate, and so I think a lot of people feel like depending on, you know, how they feel about which candidate was elected and which wasn't, th- that that's a burden that they, they want to get rid of. But I also, when you are talking, I, I thought there's a lot of people who that's, you know, marriage for them. You know, that's—in our marriages, it can be easy to want to cast aside the burden of, of our marriage, but, you know, sometimes we need to give that burden to the Lord.
0: So this is a dicey thing. So how do you know what burden it is you need to lay down— and how do you know what burden you're called to carry? That's that's that's, that's really the, the, and like everything else, as we talk about, um, the word "called" means it implies some communication and guidance from Jesus about what it is you're called to carry and what it is you're not. My response to my friend Bob, uh, when I wrote him back, was, "Bob, you're totally right. That I think I've had. I am carrying more burdens now in my life than at any other time in my life." But I'm not crushed by them mm-hmm. right now, and I know that the truth of why that is is because I am uh, walking in companionship with Jesus right now. And if I stop doing that, these things will crush me. I, I can feel it. Um, but I I feel uh, somebody asked me the other day um, uh, when I when I was describing some of the burdens that I'm carrying they said, oh, I, I hope you can get rid of some of those, and I said, well, actually, I feel called to carry them, and um, I'm good with it for right now. It's not always true, there are some things that you need to lay down, um, and Jesus will show you what those things are, but what if some of the things you're carrying He wants you to carry? Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's, there's difficult, challenging work to be done, and th- difficult, challenging work actually gives us joy <laughs> and purpose, I mean, people quit jobs often because they're bored by them. They don't ask anything of them. But a vibrant job that calls on your very core and, and you feel uniquely able to, to, to bring um, goodness into that situation, whatever it is, and to bring life and, and expertise, and it's calling out good things from you, I mean, that's what you call a really great job <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when it's challenging like that. So what if the, the burden we are called to bear in the midst of this fearful culture actually helps us t- to discover who we really are, to discover our real purpose?
1: Oh, well, in our first episode that we recorded was about finding your purpose in Jesus, um, and yeah, that, that's right. that would be a good one to revisit if you're trying to figure those things out.
0: Yeah, and so our relationship with fear, I think it, here's how we'll kind of wind down where we're headed today. Uh I think it's interesting that Jesus is quite relaxed about the reality of fear. Um, he he sees the benefit of what fear does as we turn to him as our shepherd. He sees its benefit. So there's a really crazy story in Matthew 14 that I'd just like to read. So pay attention here to what Jesus is doing. Slow down and pay ridiculous attention to Jesus in this situation, and ask questions as I read this. Why is Jesus doing what he's doing? Pay attention to what he does and why he's doing it. So it's from Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. So this was a uh, right after one of his massive miracles, where he turned a uh, few loaves and fish into a huge feast. So this massive, epic event had just happened, and so it, it says immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get in the boat, cross the lake, and he was not going to go with them. So he says, uh, it says in verse 23, "...after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone." Meanwhile, back on the lake, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning—pay attention—three o'clock in the morning, on a dark night, on a stormy night, they were in trouble. There were fishermen on this boat, and they were scared. So you get a little bit of a picture of how bad it was, and it's the middle of the night, where everything's scarier in the middle of the night, especially three o'clock in the morning. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were what? They were terrified. (laughs) Of course they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, Come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. We'll stop it right there. So... What do we notice about Jesus's behavior and the motivation behind his behavior? What what do we notice here, Becky?
1: Well, he kind of used fear as a way to incite faith.
0: <laughs> what? That's crazy talk. <laughs> sort of manipulative actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean he 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 didn't in, initially like, he, he was walking out at any point, he could have been like, "'Hey guys, it's me!' But he waited for them to be a little afraid that he was a ghost.
0: Or even more so, if his intention was simply to walk to wherever they were going, he didn't have to walk close enough to their boat for them to see him. He could have walked even 50 feet further away from the boat, they never would have seen him, it's totally pitch dark. He walked close enough to the boat that they could see him. And Jesus was God, but he was also human, he understands that if a guy comes walking on the water in the middle of the night in a stormy sea, and you see him, they're going to be afraid. So he, he knows they're going to be afraid, um, and you've said he's, he's kind of playing them a little bit, but what if he understands the nature of sheep, and that sheep feel uh, a much more of a proclivity to be led when they feel the need to be led? <laughs> Yep. sheep are often pretty arrogant. I don't need to be led. But if they're in trouble, if something's scaring them, then they do feel the need to be led. So he he walks close enough to the boat for them to see him, and they're terrified. And what does he respond with? Uh, wait a minute, guys, don't be afraid. Even though I caused your fear, <laughs> calm down. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Why? Because I am here. Not, I'm going to calm the storm right now, or not, um, you idiots, don't you understand that this is just a storm? It's your boat's not gonna sink. It's me. Why would I let you sink? He doesn't say any of that. He just says, I'm here. Your safety is tied to my presence, not to your circumstances. That, that's what he's trying to communicate. Your sense of foundation is tied to me, not so much to your circumstances. And then what's interesting is that once he gets in into the boat, the waves die down. He's he's saying, now that you have me, the waves aren't such a big deal. Uh, in fact, I don't need them anymore. <laughs> yep. the, the purpose of the waves is over now. He's trying to help them understand how to live as sheep, really, and he's trying to help us understand how to live as sheep. Hey, you're going to be led. Don't lead yourselves, but do follow me. And we find in This attachment to Jesus, when we are with him, we find our epic purpose in life. We find the ability to go out and be who we are. Um, The storms and waves of our circumstances relatively die down around us, so that they're no longer the focus of our attention. Jesus is the focus of our attention. But again, he's invited into their boat, so this first step, along the way is to invite him into the boat <laughs> to to be with him um, in the midst of our fears and our circumstances and let that presence of him be a catalyst for who we are going to be in the midst of this so you had uh, you had something here Becky about uh, our friend Steph Hillberry has, made it a practice in her life. I think this came out of something she read in The Jesus-Centered Life, mm-hmm. um, where she, she thinks through um, the opposite of what she's reading in Scripture just to give a different perspective on it. And you did you did something like this with Matthew 24, this whole passage where Jesus is talking about the future, the fearful future. So why don't you go through that?
1: So I thought, this is such a, a, a passage that just is like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. So I thought, <laughs> what, what would be the opposite of this? So this would be the opposite of what Matthew 24 is. Nations would be at peace. There wouldn't be any world hunger. There wouldn't be national disasters. Christians could live openly and would be loved in their culture. There would be no sin in the world. Love would overflow for Jesus And there wouldn't be any need to share the gospel all over the world. (laughs) So the opposite of Matthew 24 is really heaven realized on earth. And so our hope is in heaven. um, Our kingdom is in heaven. But we are not there yet. And it's it's in our hearts that we are are here to set captives free. We're here to plant seeds of truth um, and act as leaven. This is actually, I'm quoting Rick Lawrence here. Um, that's not possible. Our freedom to redeem a broken world isn't found in making ourselves happy or comfortable, but it doesn't mean we can't experience joy in our circumstances here on earth.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's something worth thinking about here again. Our freedom to redeem a broken world isn't found in making ourselves happy or comfortable. Now that sounds like not something we'd want, but the truth is, when we get what we think will make us happy and comfortable, it does not feed the deepest part of our soul. This, this much we know for sure. We're always striving to get to a place where we feel happy and comfortable, and then when we get to the circumstances that we think are supposed to give us happiness and comfortability, they don't really. They're not feeding us the way we thought they would. That's why we're such a disillusioned culture right now. We're the most affluent culture in the history of the world, but we're disillusioned by it because it didn't deliver on its promise to us. And Jesus is saying, those things aren't going to feed you the life that you need. We can experience joy in our circumstances to the extent that we abide in him. I love the end of this story of Jesus walking on the water that we didn't focus on, where he says, uh, when Jesus immediately reaches out to Peter to catch him when he's sinking, he, he's just blunt. You have so little faith. <laughs> why did you doubt me? So Peter is, is moving toward the presence of Jesus, and if you think about Jesus' question, why did you doubt me? He's really saying, why did you doubt my heart? So here is where the fulcrum really is for abiding in Jesus. It is per, it's how I started out the whole podcast. Our mission is to pay attention to the heart of Jesus. Jesus. Because when we comprehend and taste and take into ourselves the heart of Jesus, we are walking on water, and we are not doubting or in unbelief, because we are convinced of his heart. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, I want you to taste my heart enough that when you do something that's impossible right now, you don't doubt it because you don't doubt my heart. He's really, it's an invitation it's a repeated invitation, know my heart, know my heart. He's over and over with his disciples, know my heart. He's thrilled about his, his going away and the Holy Spirit coming, because the Holy Spirit will reveal his heart from an internal place. And Jesus is thrilled about this, because this is our central issue. We have to come to a place where we encounter the heart of Jesus, and then let's see what happens when that happens. For, for me, for you, Becky, for so many of our listeners, when you encounter the heart of Jesus, I know you are captured by it. You are captivated by his heart, and you end up walking on water, mm-hmm. uh, metaphorically speaking. That means in the middle of the storm, you are walking with Jesus. What would have happened in this situation if there was no doubt in Peter? Would they have gotten into the boat? Or would they have walked through the storm together? Oh, that would be so epic. And for us, our calling is to walk through the storm with Jesus. And the storm doesn't have to change Mm -hmm. as long as we're with Jesus. So any, any last thoughts here, Becky, about any of this?
1: Not about this, but I do want to say that um, if you are a listener that follows us every single week, we are not going to be recording next week because we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving, so we'll miss you next week, but we will be right back with you uh, the first week of December.
0: Yeah, you know what? We don't take for granted that you listen, and we know that uh, so many of you are kindred spirits, and it feels so great to be a part of a, a community of kindred spirits. Please tell your friends. About this, invite them into this kindred spirit community as well. The more, the merrier. We do this because out of passion, mm-hmm. passion for Jesus, and we want to collect as many kindred passionate followers of Jesus as is possible to come together to advance his kingdom and to set captives free together. So, thanks for listening. And remember, as always, you can find out more information about the things we talked about here today but even even more detail on the JesusCenteredLife.com site. You can find our podcast section there, and this is episode number 12. And the name of our podcast is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, and it's a podcast from Lifetree. You can subscribe to us on iTunes for all the latest podcasts, and Becky and I will talk to you in a couple of weeks.
1: Bye!